0: and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. Now we are going to kind of keep things on the same topic as we were last week. I know I mentioned last week was National Eating Disorders Awareness Week. As you all know, that is something that is very important to me. Very close to my heart. So, we are kind of continuing that conversation this week because I am sitting down with my friend, my Australian friend, Monica Cade. And she is the author of The Storm Under My Skin, which is her book all about how she ended her battle with eating disorders, her body, and provides the her readers with tools and tips on how to do the same. And so her and I have an amazing conversation that you will get to listen to in just a few minutes here. We have an awesome chat about how Her recovery journey went, what it looked like, but also what life looked like before recovery actually started to happen because I think that is something that's really important to highlight and just um, make known what the realities of an eating disorder are. So we talk about that, but also such important mindset stuff so the things that I love talking about Monica loves talking about as well I honestly feel like she is almost my Australian doppelganger in a way because we are just so similar and as she was talking I was just constantly nodding my head and I have I know you are just going to love today's show, but first, before I hand you off to our episode and introduce you to Monica, today is our first episode in March. So happy March, everyone. I just wanted to give you a few updates and let you know what's happening in my life throughout the month of March because I get so many DMs from you ladies on Instagram asking me to share more about my life, more personal things on the show and just kind of, you know, chat with you before we go over to the guests. So I am more than open to doing that. So let's chat about what's happening in my life this month. And so I'm really excited for this month of March because I just booked myself my second tattoo. So if you've been following me here for a while now, you'll know that I got my very first tattoo in September and I'm still very much obsessed with it. And I kind of got that bite that people usually do when they get tattoos they get like this bite to they're like addicted so anyways I just want another tattoo like right now so I booked one and that will be happening at the end of this month And also something that's really exciting that's happening is I am headed to San Diego. So next week when our next podcast airs, episode 52, I will actually be in San Diego. And I am gone for nearly two weeks. So I'll be gone basically for the entire um, last half of March. So March is quite um, exciting For me, and I'll be doing a lot of traveling, and you guys know I love traveling. So I'll be in San Diego. I'll be hanging out with one of my really good friends, Christina Rice. And then I will be attending a conference, a leadership conference for DoTERRA. So that's why I'm going to San Diego. But it's nice that I can visit some friends while I'm there and Then I'll be extending my stay a little bit after the conference to meet up with some other friends. So it'll be a nice mix of work and play, and I'll be keeping you guys updated while I'm there. Definitely head over to Instagram. I'll be sharing all of my updates starting next week once I'm in San Diego. And so you can stay in touch with me over there on Instagram. And then finally, another thing that I want to let you know about that will be happening on Instagram is a giveaway. So as I mentioned, Monica Cade, who is featured in today's episode, she is the author of The Storm Under My Skin. And we are giving One lucky winner, a copy of her book. So I'm really excited to be hosting and offering that giveaway for you ladies. So head over to Instagram and look for the post that is for today's episode, episode 51. And all you need to do is comment on that post and share with us what you learned from this episode or maybe like one of your favorite pieces from today's episode let us know and then tag your friend as well I will have all of the details for how to enter this giveaway on that Instagram post but in order to enter you'll need to find that post on my Instagram account so just look for the post that is advertising today's episode, episode 51. You will see a quote from today's show, so look for that, and then give us a comment, and one of you will win a copy of her book, The Storm Under My Skin. So I'm really excited for one of you to get that into your hands. It's going to be a great book. You will love it. So I'll stop talking now. (laughs) I hope that was enough updates for you ladies. And let's get to my conversation with Monica Cade. Hey, Monica, welcome to the show. I am so happy to be sitting down with you today and chatting.
1: Me too. I'm very excited for our conversation. We've got some similar stories to share, I think.
0: Honestly, well, you and I have chatted before and (laughs) I remember always thinking like, oh my gosh, this girl is so similar to me. So I'm really excited for my listeners to meet you and hear from you today because if they like what I have to say, they are also really going to love what you have to say. So if the ladies that are joining us today listening to this episode, if they're not familiar with who you are and what you do, can you introduce yourself,
1: please? Yeah, sure. So I am a writer and more recently an author. And I also have my own podcast show as well, the Monica Cade podcast. And my every all my work is about really helping people become the deepest and truest expression of who they are. And so that may look like you know helping people just become self-aware around the way that they live their lives from the food that they eat from the way that they move their bodies and just become more aware about their mind and what's happening in their mind and so yes i love doing what i do and i love sharing my message and I hope to share some wisdom with your listeners today.
0: Oh, I'm sure you will. So how did you get into doing the work that you do?
1: Gosh, it's been such a roundabout kind of experience. You know, I, when I was, uh, I guess, a teenager, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So for me, most of my teenage years, like towards the end of high school and then you know, leaving high school was very much in early 20s was very much around. I don't know what to do with my life type thing. You know, I just knew I wasn't a traditional kind of nine to five girl. And I went to university. I studied human resource management, which I've never worked in ever. And then, but during that time, I was also contracting to companies, writing, marketing, that kind of thing in communications. So I think that spurred it on and then I started my own business when I was I think twenty and it was an online magazine and it was for creative talent in the emerging arts and and so I ran that for a little while and I guess that's when I discovered my true ability as a writer. And so that was always something that I loved to do and express myself through. And that was at a time when blogs were just starting out. And I'm sure for some of your listeners, they're probably like, what? <laughs> you know, it was like, feels like millions of years ago and it's such a different our technology and the way that our world has evolved over time is so, so different. So, you know, over the years, I've always writing and interviewing people has always been a theme in everything I have done. So sometimes the way that that was expressed or the particular role that I was doing, or that may have changed, but that's always been something that's been consistent throughout that time.
0: Awesome. And I really do love the message and the mission of your podcast I think that sounds very similar to what we do here on the Unbreakable You show. Um, So I know that, and you and I already shared this with everyone listening, you and I have a lot of similarities. And I do Mm. want to start getting into your book, which has a lot to do with eating disorder recovery. And Mm. I know that's something that many of my listeners can connect with. So why don't you kind of start sharing that background of yours and that story of yours? I'd love to hear that.
1: Yeah, sure. So I, in the end, ended up having an eating disorder for 11 years. That included the recovery time period. It started, well, you know, if I go really far back, I try to think of when, when could I pinpoint, when did those thoughts kind of start consuming my mind about my body? The earliest thought I had was when I was about, I must've been 11 or 12. Cause I was still in primary school before I went to high school. And, and I remember thinking, Oh my God, my legs are fat. And I was comparing myself to my friends, but at that age, they definitely weren't, you know, I was still young and and then i think the transition into high school was a little bit more difficult a bigger place more people and i think i was more self-conscious about my body and i felt like i didn't look like the other girls and so i i don't i think you know it it's not just about body image but it was more of a a lack of self-worth i didn't didn't know myself i didn't like how i felt in my skin i felt like i didn't I didn't fit in and look like everybody else, so then, in the second year of high school, I experimented with not eating, and it didn't last very long <laughs> because I got hungry. But you know, then I guess it was it was a consistent thing. I was always concerned about my body image. I really didn't like what I look like, and I think it's, it's never about that. It goes, it's something that runs a lot deeper. So for our listeners, you know, they might be relating to aspects of that, like, yeah, I don't like my body and, and, but it's never about the body. And I think it's so easy to get caught up in that commentary that happens in our mind. So, and and I'm sure we can touch more on that later, but then after I left high school, that's when it really I made a commitment to myself that I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm going to become anorexic and I would do whatever it took to go down that path. But I didn't know what that meant. You know, I don't think anyone that hasn't had an eating disorder really understands what that life looks like, you know, from the inside, because it's not fun, you know? Yeah. You get skinny, but the feeling on the inside doesn't change. You still feel the same. And then, you know, obviously that disorder took over my life. I became less social. I felt very lonely, very sad. It, it was just a horrible existence, but I felt so stuck in it. But for a long time as well, I didn't want to change. You know, there was a certain period of time where I was quite happy doing what I was doing because it was serving some sort of, I guess, it, it, it felt it didn't feel good, but it felt like, you know, I'm doing this, you know, until it got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. And then I had to find a way to change.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'd love to talk about the changes that you implemented to overcome such a challenging time in your life. But before we actually go into that, can we go back to that age that you first shared with us, like 11, 12 years old, when you started looking down at your legs and thinking they were bigger than the other girls or fat. And I know you said they weren't, but it's like, where did those thoughts even come from? right? Like Mm -hmm. where do these first thoughts that we as such young girls, where do they come from? I'd be curious to know where they came from for you because I know for me, my very first um, battle with anorexia was at the age of 10. So Mm -hmm. um, obviously I was having those thoughts too at a very young age. So um, for you and your own personal journey, can you like share some um, you know, personal stories about that.
1: Yeah. So I, it's, it's interesting. Cause it really, it makes you wonder like, where does someone so young? And there are girls that are younger than both of the ages we experienced it, who are going through eating disorders, which makes, it just blows my mind to be honest. But if I look back, I wonder if maybe my how my mom felt about her body influenced me, you know, like not on a conscious level, but you know, maybe her talking about how she felt about her body or seeing her frustrated at that, at when I was growing up, maybe that took part in it. Then I also think society totally influences us. And I guess when you're going transitioning from being in primary school do you guys call it a primary in high school or what do you call it
0: um it's elementary here elementary okay school. Mm-hmm.
1: all right but the listeners will know what I'm talking about oh yeah about, right? yeah okay cool yeah so uh I think you know that transition you're starting to become more aware of your body you probably, I know at that time I was watching TV or reading magazines, you know, getting into magazines, social media obviously wasn't around then, but, um, you know, you are taking in stuff that advertisers are telling you what you should look like and how to be beautiful and how to be more liked. And so those things do seep into our minds. And I think for young girls and probably for me at that time too was like if I don't look like my friends and if I don't look like the people in the magazines well then there must be something wrong with me because I'm not matching up you know and I guess our world projects this thing like if you can look like this then you will have the best life and you'll be happy all the time and your life will be perfect which we all know is not true but some people are more susceptible to believing that. And I think, so those particular things probably influenced it. My sister as well was quite thin throughout our, like growing up, she just naturally has that. She's very tall and very slender. That's her build. And my best friend was also the same. So I think when I was surrounded with that, uh, and I guess for our listeners, I'm probably more of an athletic build, if if you understand what I mean, but at that age, I didn't really understand body types, you know, and that we're all different. It's like, I just thought, oh, well, I don't look thin and tall and skinny type thing. So I think those were the main factors that influenced it.
0: Yeah, I definitely think our world or, you know, the um, cultures that both you and I are coming from could do a way better job at like body diversity and just showing young girls that there's not just one way to look for sure because um, I think that's really you know some of the things that really um, affected me too for sure. So I loved another thing that you said and that was the people that have never dealt with an eating disorder before they really don't know like the realities of what it's like kind of inside that life so Mm. before you and I start going through some of the steps that you took to recover do you want to shed some light and some truth on what life was like for you when you actually had an eating disorder if you wouldn't mind
1: yeah sure. So for me, I guess in the early stages, it just becomes about avoiding food. So you know, I would just not eat and I would avoid meal times wherever I could, or, you know, say that I'd eaten. So you' as you're going into the eating disorder, you are developing this avoidance pattern. You manipulate situations. You then later, as time goes on, you start manipulating other people because, you're you're lying a lot I know I lied a lot because well you have to like because if you don't want to eat and people are asking have you eaten well you and you're saying you have and when you haven't you know there's a lot of lying going on and then later on I also developed bulimia because I realized I was like oh well I can eat and I can just purge it so I get the best of both worlds and I can still get skinny and so I did that and I think by that time as well, that probably accelerated it and it made it worse because I find that when you're purging as well, there's a lot of like chemical imbalances you're creating in the body by doing that. And so it's affecting your mind tremendously and your body because your body's like, what the hell is going on? Like we need food. You just gave us food. Now you're throwing it back up. So you're messing up all the internal hormonal um, balances, the way that you're you know, everything's running on the inside. So it, it started messing with my mind a lot, you know. It was I had this need to purge, like it was like a physical compulsion, like I had to do it, like like an addiction. I couldn't not do it. I had to. And and then as well, you know, the guilt that sets in. And then there's that need to exercise a lot. And so my attention was completely on not eating, avoiding family and friends and food situations, and then keeping the secret from the world. So that's already taking up a lot of space in my mind. And over time, there was no space in my mind for uh, relationships, for friendships, for, you know, creating, um, like I was working on my magazine at that time, that started to slide. My studies started to slide everything, you know, it was just my physical health went downhill. I was so tired all the time. Like I'd have to rest, you know, and I eventually stopped going to uni because I was exhausted just walking to the car park and into the auditorium or the room. And then sitting there, I felt so cold that I was like, I can't go. It's too cold, you know, Mm -hmm. because you lose so much weight that your body just can't keep warm. And so, I mean, I, I don't know how significant that, that sounds to people, but imagine that this there's like this monster in your mind and all you think about is food, avoiding it, and then purging and how much you hate yourself. And it just consumes you. Mm-hmm. You can basically take away anything that you like or love because it's not going to be there anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, that definitely hits home for me for sure. And I can resonate with a lot of that. And I think um, the lying is something that mm-hmm. people don't really initially think about unless they've had an eating disorder. Like mm-hmm. I personally hate lying. Like it's not mm-hmm. something that I do, but it was A moment to moment thing for me when I had an eating disorder so thank you so much for being so honest and just sharing with our listeners what that actually is like so obviously you dealt with this eating disorder for years but there was clearly a point in your life where you were just like something's got to change so can you share what that was like with us
1: Yeah, sure. So it kind of, there were probably two key moments. I met this girl who I named Polly and I share that story in the book and we were at a fashion show together and we were both doing some modeling and she also had an eating disorder. Anyway, we became friends and it was a really good friendship for me because it allowed me to express how I was feeling without being judged, you know, and we could hang out and we didn't have to eat. (laughs) And, um, It was just, it was nice to have someone that understood how I felt. And at one point she got hospitalized. She'd had anorexia for years and she'd been hospitalized numerous times. And she was telling me these horrific stories about her organs failing and all this kind of like really bad stuff happening. And so she was hospitalized just in a treatment center and I went to visit her and I just thought I'm never going to be in a place like this and I must have been impacted by that subconsciously as well because there was a point where I read my journal and I I had written in it and it said that mon you have to she had said to me you have to think of it like the whole world is on a train and the train is coming to the station you're standing at the station and you have the opportunity to get on with the world and go live an amazing life or you can stay where you are in this place by yourself alone doing what you're doing and that obviously stood out for me and that i mean even now when i i've shared that story a few times like it still impacts me like i get goosebumps you know? i
0: am covered in goosebumps right <laughs> now
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and so i think that was like a slight kind of turning point that i wasn't really aware of and then I remembered there was one day I was w- at work, I was working for a publisher and I mean, I was very thin at that point. I think I must've been around, I think my lowest was like 42 or 43 kilos. So I must've been around there at that point. I was I literally had an anxiety attack and I had to take myself to the bathroom and I was crying and I was shaking I couldn't keep it together. And I rang Polly and I just told her how I was feeling. And she said, you know, maybe you should go and get help, like go see a psychologist or something. And when she said that, I just felt this like relief and I, and in that moment I was like, okay, yeah, I think that's a good idea. It still took about a month before I went and did that because I had to, I guess, build up the courage within myself to go and do that. Cause it, it felt scary, you know? And I, and I guess I was also like, I wanted to be sure that I wanted to do this. So I was, you know, like Monica, you know, once you take the step, you can't go back. So yeah. And then I did. And then I guess it was, so it took four years in to the illness and then the rest of the time was coming out of it. So yeah, once I saw a psychologist, that was really, really helpful. Again, it was like expressing how I was feeling. Um, So they were like the main two turning points that fueled the switch.
0: Yeah. That could- first conversation with Polly and then kind of almost her permission slip of Mm. like telling you to go get help right so Mm. when Polly offered that piece of advice to you was she still suffering herself
1: yeah she was
0: wow and are you still friends with her
1: we, I, I wouldn't say we're friends. Like we obviously know each other. And I contacted her when I was writing the book. Cause I said, can you give me some dates? Cause the timeline was so, you know, you forget over right. time. And so, you know, she was really sweet and gave me some dates from when she went through her journals and stuff. And she's, I don't know, to be honest, where she's at in her own self. I know she's had a baby as well. So, and I, it seems she's doing well, but as you would know, the outside can always look very different from what's happening on the inside. So I don't know the answer to that question, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, it's nice that she was able to at least help you out with a few dates for your book, because I know even for myself, I've reflected back so many times through my writing and it's like everything's so murky and very blurred. So it's always nice to have someone that someone for me is my mom. She always like kind of helps me figure out when certain things happened. But um, okay, so I want to talk more about your recovery journey, because Mm -hmm. you said that it did take you a significant amount of time to like actually get to that point that you were at in your eating disorder where you wanted to seek help, but also something, and it's National Eating Disorders Awareness Week right now when you and I are recording this. And Mm -hmm. I've been really dedicated to raising awareness about this mental illness throughout the entire week. And one thing that I think is so important to talk about is the amount of time that it actually takes to recover from this disorder.
1: I totally agree with you. It's just, I feel like this disorder for people who maybe are listening and maybe they just have a friend with someone with it, or maybe they haven't, you know, they don't necessarily have an eating disorder experience with it, but the whole thing takes up so much time. It like, It's a time consuming um, disorder to have, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yes, I think recovery in my experience is harder than going into it. I think it's kind of easier going into it, but it's hard to come out because you have to undo all the mental patterns and habits and ideas that are in your mind that are, really keeping you hostage to this illness because a lot of it, and especially for, especially for anorexics, cause they're, they're less so, I mean, maybe they may be over-exercising and stuff, but they're not necessarily purging depending obviously, but so that particular disorder, I think a lot of it, it's just happening in your mind, you know? Yeah, it's that you was for mind. me.
0: Yeah. I was yeah. never into, I never purged. Mine was all, I wasn't even exercising. Mine was just yeah. like strictly me, my mind and food. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's all happening in your mind. And then I guess for the people that have experienced bulimia, then, you know, there's the physical component too. And as as we spoke about before, because there's like you're changing the physiology in your body, that's also like an added kind of, it makes it a little bit harder because you have to resist the physical compulsion to go and do that. Because for me, it was like when I purge, it sent some sort of a, a chemical response to my brain. And that then made me feel better. You know, it calmed my anxiety. And so it was about learning to when that thought came up and then whenever those uncomfortable, hard feelings came up, whatever they were. And for everyone, I think it's different. Like for me, it was, you know, either anxiety, hatred towards myself and my body, sadness. Sometimes it was just purely to punish myself. You know, it was like to be with that emotion and give it space and feel it and allow it to rise up without then also having to go and purge. So I think I've, I don't know if I've segued off the question or if I'm still answering it,
0: but don't worry about it. I love whatever you're talking about. So keep going.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I guess the, the, the really hard part of getting better and recovery is the self-awareness that needs to take place and the honesty that you has to take place with yourself, because if you can't be honest with yourself, then you can't really make the change because only you know what's going on in your mind Mm -hmm. and only you have the capacity to, Allow that thought to take you down the path you know or to take you towards recovery. So that was a constant choice I had to make was like, Monica, you know where this path goes. Do you want to go that way or do you want to go this way? And I had to keep reminding myself, I was like, no, I I want to go this way. I want to go this way. You know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it definitely does take a lot of self awareness. And what I like to talk, call it is like self-talk, right? We have to really up that inner conversation that we have with ourselves. And I'd love to talk more about that in a minute. But one thing that I do really want to have you elaborate a little bit more on is those uncomfortable feelings. Because I think women who are listening to this show that haven't ever dealt with an eating disorder and are never going to deal with one, we all experience uncomfortable emotions, right? I mm-hmm. literally just had a session with a client um, the other day about uncomfortable emotions and how she is like very just not, um, willing or not wanting to sit with those emotions. Right. Mm -hmm. And for you in the past, whenever those uncomfortable emotions bubbled up for you, you went and purged and then Mm. it allowed you to feel good again. Right. Mm. So like I said, All of us have these uncomfortable emotions and not all of us know how to deal with them. So how did you start to kind of like rewire your brain and also your actual like physical actions? How did you start to rewire all of that and start to actually like sit with those uncomfortable emotions instead of running away from them?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'll answer firstly from an eating disorder perspective, and then I'll kind of just answer in a way that someone who doesn't have an eating disorder can also apply it to their life. So when I had the physical component, the bulimia, so for me, I I, I knew I had to stop purging, but I was purging God knows how many times a day, like, you know, heaps and it didn't mean that I was also binging that much. Like it could have been that I ate an apple and then I would go and purge. Do you know what I mean? So it didn't necessarily Mm -hmm. mean that I was having these big binges or anything like that. But so I thought, okay, for me, it's too difficult to go from whatever, 10 plus to nothing. So I gave myself like this little scenario, I I had a journal, I journaled every day and I had like these colorful stickers. And, uh, in the beginning, what I would do is I was like, okay, today I would just reduce the number. So I said like, okay, today you have a limit of 10 times. If that's, if that's what you can do, then fine. And then I would bring it down, you know, until I guess it got to the point where you know, I didn't need to, it was like, no, there's just like, there's no no purging. You got to get through the day. And that really helped because it was like, I, I, I was at a stage where I couldn't just go cold Turkey. It was mm-hmm. too, it was too full on internally, you know, the emotions and the anxiety and everything like that was just too strong for me at that point in time. So I just took baby steps. And when I got to the point where I wasn't purging, you know, if I made it through the day. I put a sticker on my page and I bought stickers that I loved. And and I know to some of the listeners, they might be like, that's really childish, but you know what? It worked for me. And I think you have to, in those moments, you choose whatever works for you. So anything that sparks joy or anything that kind of inspires you to go another day, if that's a sticker, great. If it's going, purchasing yourself, purchasing, buying yourself a coffee, then that's, you know, make it that whatever it is that really will support you do that mm-hmm. and so that really helped me get past the physical side of it and then the journaling so i think this applies to anyone that is experiencing hard emotions journaling is a great way to express yourself because the hard emotions tend to become even harder because it's just a cycle in your mind that's on repeat and you're not expressing it. So they have nowhere to go. So they're just like running around, they're like running laps in your mind. You know, you can think about like a runner, just constantly running. So it's like, you got to give them an outlet. So whether that's talking to someone that you trust, or, you know, even speaking to a professional for someone with an eating disorder, if you don't want to do that, just a friend or simply like writing your thoughts out, you're still getting it out. So it almost diffuses some of those feelings You know, and I think as well the other part is breathing is huge, you know. Sometimes you just have to just breathe through it, you know, and each breath and 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 don't go further than the moment because that's that's what's causing the overwhelm as well. You've got to be present with these emotions and be present what is with what is right now and it's going to pass. And I think, you know, over the years with that kind of a practice, even now, you know, like there are days that things happen in my life and sometimes it feels overwhelming, but I have the capacity to almost be the observer of what's happening on the inside of my body of these emotions. So it's like, I'm like watching them. I'm like, okay, there's anger in my body right now, but it can stay there until it needs to go, you know? Mm -hmm. actually it's funny what popped into my mind just then was from our previous conversation. I think I mentioned it, like, listen to your emotions like as if they were your friend, you know, you would be really kind to your friend when they're expressing what they need to say and your emotions are coming up because they want to express something. So listen, but you don't have to believe them. Like you can just take on, listen to what they're saying and then let them go, you know, that's Mm -hmm. it.
0: Yes. Oh, do I ever know what you're saying? And that client that I previously brought up that I was talking Mm -hmm. about, we were chatting about not wanting to sit with these difficult emotions. And it's funny because I kind of made the same suggestion that you just brought up and almost seeing these emotions as your friend. So if it's like anxiety, and again, this does not have to be like eating disorder related, like Mm -hmm. all of us experience anxiety, even you and I, I, now that we are recovered, we still have anxious feelings. But instead of like seeing that anxious feeling and being like, oh my gosh, there it is. I hate this feeling. I'm going to run away from it. I don't want to see it or feel it. Instead of doing that, be like, oh, hey, there's that anxiety. Like there it is again. Yeah. <laughs> and just like kind of welcome it in. And, you know, it it seems like something." so kind of maybe out there to some people, but honestly, it's like those mental shifts that are going to bring you the biggest changes in your life.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with what you said. I think, you know, it's just not judging what's coming up, you know, like you said, you're like, oh, hey, okay. And and you might not feel like, oh, hey, when it comes you're up, right. you might be like, Oh, I, I really don't like how I'm feeling right now. That's okay. But you don't need to, you don't necessarily have to work out why you're feeling like this. You don't have to make it into this big thing. Like, Oh my God, I'm feeling this thing again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's simply about just become aware that it's there. And you know what, you can still actually function in the world when those emotions are there. You know, you can still go for a walk and allow the, emotion to be there until it needs to go. You know, sometimes that may be more challenging. Sometimes it might be easier, but it's, it's a practice. It's just catching yourself and not letting yourself become that emotion, I think.
0: Yes, yes, 100%. Oh my gosh, I could honestly talk to you forever. (laughs) So let's just keep this conversation going. I know one of your absolute favorite things to talk about is like the dialogue in your mind. And I think that's something you talk about a lot in your book about. I will be reading your book very shortly once I get my copy of your book. So I'm really excited about that. But can you talk more about that and why you think this is such a key piece for recovery and even just like for people now I think it's something that us as like eating disorder survivors those of us who have gone through treatment and recovery we have this incredible tool and I can't help but think like why doesn't everyone know about inner dialogue and like changing the way they speak to themselves, you know?
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think it is such a wonderful, when you start to become aware of those things, because I know for some of the listeners, they might, might think like, what? I've never thought about that before. Some of them might be like, yeah, I I'm aware of this and I, I do practice that. Great. You know, wherever you are and you're listening to this conversation, you know, it's all useful. But I talk about the dialogue in the book a lot because I think that's where I even, I mean, I tried to find things, books and things out there when I was going through recovery with something to help me and I never did. And a lot of the stuff at that point in time, I'm sure that it's changed a lot now, but was that you couldn't ever get over it. You know, like even if you got over it, it would still be there. You would never fully recover. And that's not a great thing you want to read about, you know, you want to, you know, find at least one person that's successfully beat this and that you can live a normal life. And so I guess for me, when I was writing the book, I really broke it down. I And I looked at, I guess I had a level of self-awareness too, after coming out the other side, because I was forced to go inside. I think when you have an eating disorder and not even just that, a lot of people are really disconnected with their bodies and they're disconnected from being here in this moment. So when you're not here, that's when you're in your mind and you're living in this imaginary world with all these stories that are happening, which aren't actually happening right now and you get lost in that. So I really wanted to break down I guess for someone maybe who may be very new to it, or maybe even like aspects for people that uh ideas that they maybe haven't thought about, you know, throughout the book. So really just it's a becoming self-aware. So but how do you do that? You know, how do you break it down to its most simplest form, especially for someone who's going through a um, mental health disorder that has got its grip on them? Like that is hard. It's not as easy as like, okay, go meditate. You can't just say that to someone who's experiencing an eating disorder, even someone that's going through a life challenge that is really hard. They'll tell you to be like, you know, probably some profanities. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, so I won't (laughs) swear.
0: Uh,
1: But, you know, so yes, I think things like meditation can be helpful. It might not be for everyone. So I think the greatest part is sort of what we spoke about before is the emotions and the thoughts. So when the thought comes into your mind, be aware of it because that's going to trigger some sort of emotional response in your body as well. But things like also as simple as is your body relaxed, you know, Mm -hmm. how often are we tense? You know, I'm sure to our listeners now, where are your shoulders? Are they fully relaxed? Is your stomach tense or is it relaxed? You know, like, are you really here in this moment or are you also multitasking doing 50 other things? Are you thinking about, you know, what are you going to have for dinner? Or are you listening to the conversation? Do you know what I mean?
0: Like, oh yeah.
1: Yeah. So many people are multitasking, doing so many different things that to be here is a very, you know, it's something you have to practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so in terms of the dialogue, I, it, it takes practice, especially if it's not something that you've been aware of before to just recognize the thoughts in your mind are, are not you. They're just thoughts, you know, like they're clouds passing by in the sky and you don't have to believe all of them. Because what I find really fascinating is you could have a thought like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner? right? And then you'll let that thought go. But if a thought is like saying to you, oh, I didn't exercise today. Then it goes to, oh, you're going to get fat. Oh, but you've eaten all that food. Oh, and you're never going to go to the gym tomorrow. And then it goes on this huge tangent, but yet the dinner one was like, oh, I don't know. And you can let it go and you might think about it some more or you might not. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference actually between those two thoughts, you know? So, I it's think the it's fact become... that we
0: like give them attention, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
1: And then the same thing, like I also speak about, you know, the labels that each individual has placed on food and the meaning that they have given it. It doesn't mean anything until you say chocolate is bad or, you know, I can't eat this particular food because it's going to make me insert whatever you meet whatever meaning you've placed on it you know so it's almost like we're creating our world and it's sort of you've got to look at take a step back and go okay oh I see what I've done there and I've made this mean this but does it actually mean that so even in the book I think I've included not I think I have included some questions that are really helpful for people to just become aware of how they're feeling, you know, before they eat. Mm It doesn't have to be for someone that has an eating disorder. This is the the beautiful thing about this book in this. The first half has my story. And then the second half is almost a conscious approach to health, nutrition, and just the mind as well. So it, it just will help you, I guess, be more aware of how you're living in each moment in all facets of your life. Mm,
0: I love that so much. And honestly, it's funny, I'm laughing like we keep referring to your book as the book. But by now, I feel feel like our listeners are going to be like, okay, I want to know all about your book and where I can get it. So can you fill us in on all of that?
1: Yeah, sure. So you can, for, I guess, international, I'm assuming most of your audience is international, which means like not in Australia. But uh, you guys, there are some technical difficulties I'm ironing out at the moment. But so at the moment, you can purchase the book via balboapress.com. So that's the the publisher itself. It will be available on Amazon and Barnes Noble and Nobles and Uh, the other online retailers as well for the international audience, probably uh, at the beginning of March. So there's just a bit of a delay at the moment with that. So there are some places you can get it. You can also go, if you're in Australia, you can head to my website or either of those retailers as well. And yeah, that's, that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah. Can you share your website and all the places we can find you on social media as well?
1: Sure. So my website is monicacade.com, just my name. and you can sign up to my newsletter or check out my book. There's a free chapter download as well for anyone that's interested in just having a little read to see what it's about. And then on social media, I hang out mostly on Instagram. I do also have Facebook, so you can just type in my name and find me there. but um Instagram Monica Cade as well. And I'm pretty active on there. So if anyone has any questions or they just want to say hello, Very happy to chat.
0: Awesome. And we will definitely get your website and everything linked up in the show notes too. And I think we have an announcement for our listeners about a little bit of a giveaway. So, can you tell Mm -hmm. them about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So, Meg and I have had a chat, and we are going to do a giveaway to two people of the ebook version of my book. And all you have to do is Obviously, if you're at this part of the conversation, you have been listening, but you just need to share your experiences. I'll, I'll put up a post and probably good to do it on your page as well. Just comment and then we will pick a, pick two people for the giveaway of the book. Just share your insights. What was the most valuable thing you took away from the conversation?
0: Awesome. I am so excited for two lucky winners. That'll be great. So finally, Monica, the last question I always ask my guests is what does it mean to you to be unbreakable?
1: Mm. I know you asked me this before and I'm going to, I didn't know you were going to ask me again. So I'm just going to stop and think about that for a moment. What does it mean to be unbreakable to me? I think it's to really know who I am and trust that I know what's best for me, because that means I'm connected to who I am. And if I'm truly being myself, then nothing can break me.
0: I love that. And it definitely seems like throughout your journey, you have been able to really gain that self-awareness and connect with your true self as well.
1: Mm, yeah Yeah. it's been a journey so yeah for our listeners as well like it is a journey Mm -hmm. it it doesn't happen overnight no
0: definitely not an overnight thing but thank you so much for joining me today sweetheart I absolutely love chatting with you and I am honest when I say I can just keep talking to you this has been so much fun and I know everyone is going to love this episode
1: awesome thank you so much for having me on Meg